Hi there, this is Edwin Crozier with the Franklin Church of Christ again. I want to welcome you as we open God's Word and learn how to serve Him and do His will. In today's lesson, we take a look at Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21, and we find world history in a nutshell. The two greatest events that have occurred throughout history. If you know these and live based upon them, then you'll know all the history that you need to know to serve God and go to heaven. Open your Bibles and study along with us. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Romans chapter 5, verse 12 through verse 21. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. Verse 15, But the free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to many. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned, for on the one hand the judgment arose from one transgression, resulting in condemnation, but on the other hand the free gift arose from many transgressions resulting in justification. For by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one. Much more, those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of the righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Verse 18, So then, as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness there resulted justification of life to all men. For as through the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one the many will be made righteous. The law came in so that the transgression would increase. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through the righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This passage here in Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21 has been a hotbed of religious controversy. There are two camps. There's the Calvinistic camp that looks at Romans 5, verse 12 through 21 as a major support for their doctrine of total inherited depravity or original sin. Those of us who are not Calvinists, however, see a quite different message here. One of the problems, of course, is, is that Today, with all this conflict going on as we come to this passage, it's hard to read this passage without thinking about that controversy. But when Paul wrote this passage, there wasn't that controversy. And he wasn't writing to talk about Calvinism or to argue against Calvinism. He had a point to make. And as we look in this passage, we discover from its context what the point was. If you look there in Romans chapter 5, beginning at verse 10, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Therefore, just as through one man sent into the world. He's talking about reconciliation. He's talking about man being reconciled with God. And then he gets into this series of contrasts, where he's contrasting Adam and Jesus. And so as you look at this, understand what he's talking about. He's talking about men who have been separated from God being brought to God. That's the point here. And as he does that, I believe what he provides for us is basically the history of the entire world. He points out the world's history from its very beginning 
on to now by summarizing the two greatest events that have occurred in our world and then comparing and contrasting those events. I'd like for us to look at this world history. And tonight, after you're done with this, if you don't know any other history, I don't care if you know all the presidents, I don't care if you know when the wars happened, when the treaties were signed, if you know these two events and you base your life on these two events, that's all the world history you'll need to know in order to be saved and serve God and spend eternity in heaven. There in Romans chapter 5 and verse 12, we find out the very first event. Sin entered the world. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 12, the Scripture there says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. We can go all the way back to the very beginning in the book of Genesis, in chapter 2, and we don't know exactly how long Adam and Eve were in the garden, but we recognize that God gave them two laws. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 15, it says, Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. There's law number one. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat from it you'll surely die. Law number one, tend the garden. Law number two, don't eat from that tree over there. Pretty simple. Oh, you think that we ought to be able to accomplish these most simple of laws. God placed Adam and Eve in this paradise. And yet, in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 6, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. God gave very simple, straightforward laws. There was no misunderstanding them, and yet when Satan deceived them, they submitted, and they sinned. And I just want you to think for a moment. Picture this in your mind, being in an absolute paradise. There's no sickness. There's no, uh, it's, it's just glorious. I mean, there's no sin there around. There's no, there's no lusting. There's no lying. There's no murder. There's no stealing. There's, I mean, none of those kind of things that plague us. It's just not there. And the world is perfect, and things grow. I mean, even that, that law to tend the garden wasn't that hard for them because they didn't have weeds. Like Kenny pointed out, with the Lord's Supper. I'd never really thought about it. But, you know, you go out there and you see those weeds. If you do that gardening, what's that reminder of? This sin. Because in an instant, everything was changed. Their relationship with one another, their relationship with God, their relationship with the world. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 7 gives us a small glimpse of it. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. And so we recognize that everything changed as sin came into the world. But there in Romans chapter 5 and verse 12, it points out the real import here. And the fact is that sin did not come into this world alone. When sin came into this world, it brought death along with it. I do believe that when sin came into the world, it brought physical death along with it. I don't believe that in the Garden of Eden there was death, because how could it be paradise with sickness and death? Secondly, when I look in Genesis chapter 5, and I see this genealogy that's there, the only genealogy in all of Scripture that contains this one aspect, and it constantly tells us, whoever it's talking about, died. 
In Genesis chapter 5 and verse 3, it says, When Adam had lived 130 years, he became the father of a son in his own likeness, according to his image, and named him Seth. Verse 4, Then the days of Adam, after he became the father of Seth, were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. Verse 6, Seth lived 105 years, became the father of Enosh, and on it goes. Verse 8, So all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. Verse 11, So all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. Verse 14, So all the days of Kenan were 910 years, and he died. Verse 17, So all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years, and he died. Verse 20, So all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. Enoch, well, we know Enoch didn't die. He was just taken up. Verse 24, but then in verse 27, So all the days of Methuselah were 969 years. That's a long time. And he died. Doesn't matter how long he lived, he still died. Lamech, verse 28, becomes the father of a son, and he's Noah. Verse 31, so all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. What's the author trying to point out to us? Death was in the world. But in Romans chapter 5, I don't believe when Paul talks about death entering with sin that he's talking about physical death. Not in the context. Nor do I think that that physical death is the more important aspect of what occurred when sin entered the world. When sin entered the world, sickness came and the world changed and people started being corrupt physically and dying. But in that instant, just as God had promised, Adam and Eve died spiritually. If we were to continue reading on in the context in Romans chapter 5 and then read on down into Romans chapter 6, we'd eventually get to verse 16 where it says, Do you not know, this is Romans 6.16, Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness. Now, that's interesting. Death contrasted with righteousness. Why? Because he's not talking about physical death. He's talking about spiritual death. If we kept on reading, we'd get down to verse 20. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What death and life is Paul talking about here in Romans chapter 5 and verse 6? He's not talking about the blood continuing to pump through our veins and the oxygen getting to our brains. He's talking about our spirit being in fellowship with God's spirit. He's talking about spiritual life and spiritual death. And when that sin entered the world, death came with it immediately, spiritually. Physical death is the separation from the, of the spirit from the body. Spiritual death is the separation of us from God. And that's what happened. Adam and Eve, who enjoyed that most close fellowship with God, were suddenly separated. But we look again back at Romans chapter 5, verse 12, and it didn't stop there. It doesn't just say that one man sinned and sinned into the world and, and then death through sin. The most frightening thing here is death spread to all men. And you know why that's frightening? Is because when we look at the class of all men, guess who that includes? We're a part of that group. Death spread to all men. But I want you to notice why. 
And this is very clear. I mean, I don't know how you could be more clear than what Paul says here. Paul doesn't say death spread to all men because, because Adam sinned. And then we all just got changed by it. He said death spread to all men because all sinned. Why did death spread to us? Because we, like our father Adam, sinned. Now, in order for us to fully comprehend this, we need to dispel a few of the assumptions that are often taught by those who are Calvinists. Those who are Calvinists will look at this and say, well, that's true, but we all sinned in this one man. That's where the sin came in. And here's what they'll do. They'll move on to Romans chapter 5, verse 13 and 14. Read very carefully with me. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam. <coughs> Excuse me. Here's what will be said. Notice what it says here. Until the law. What law was that? That's the law of Moses. Paul says, until Moses' law came on, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed when there is no law. Why, see, before the law, no sin is imputed. Because when there's no law, there's no sin. Because sin is violating the law, right? Well, that makes sense. Sure. But, uh uh-oh, there was still death from Adam to Moses. Even though Moses' law wasn't there, and sin's not imputed when there's no law, death was reigning. What's that mean? That means there was sin going on. And yet there was no law for them to violate, we're told, and therefore, what sin did they commit? They committed the one in Adam. That's what we're told. However, look at this very closely. That is the exact opposite of what this verse actually says. And there's a key statement in here that demonstrates to us. We're told that between Adam and Moses, there was no law. And since people were dying anyway, it must have been that we all sinned in Adam. But wait a minute. Death reigned even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam. So there's a whole bunch of people that had death, even though they hadn't sinned in the likeness of Adam. Now, according to Calvinism, the only sin that was committed during that time was the sin folks committed in Adam. That we were in Adam, and we committed that sin right along with him. How then, if, if that's it, could there be anybody who didn't sin in the likeness of Adam? I'll tell you why. Because instead of this passage saying there was no law between Adam and Moses, what it actually proves is there was law between Adam and Moses. How do we know that? Because there were folks who hadn't sinned like Adam, and yet they still had the spiritual death reigning over them. That means there must have been a law. In fact, rather than we go back and we look at the time between Adam and Moses, we realize there must have been a law. For instance, in Genesis chapter 4, when Abel brought from the flock and God regarded Abel's offering, but in verse 5 of Genesis 4, He did not regard it. What's that mean? That means there was a law. God had given a law regarding sacrifice. And then when Cain killed Abel and God punished him for it, what's that mean? That means that sin was imputed to Cain, and he had a law that he had violated. And then in Genesis chapter 6 through 8, when God destroyed the entire world through flood because of the sin, the fact that the people only thought of evil all the time, continually, what's that mean? That meant there was a law that they were violating, and God imputed that sin to them, and God judged them for it. 
Then in Genesis chapter 11, when the people came to Babel and they started building that tower and God judged them by changing the languages and scattering them. What's that mean? That meant there was a law there that they had violated and God imputed that sin to them and He judged them for that sin. So what do we learn here? The fact is, is that while there were quite a bit of time before we get to Moses' law, God had law during this time. And everybody came under this sentence of condemnation and death because everybody violated God's law. Whatever the law was at the time where they were living, they all did it, just like we have all done it under God's law today. And we've sinned and died spiritually. Not because Adam sinned, but because we sinned. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. And so now here we are. Sinners. And that sentence of death hangs over us. Because sin entered the world, and sin brought with it death. And it has spread to all of us, because we all, like Adam, have followed in his footsteps, and even if we haven't committed an offense in the likeness of Adam's offense, we've all sinned. And we've all fallen short of God's glory. And therefore, we've all died. That's the first major event in world history. But aren't we glad that's not where it ends? Because Paul in Romans chapter 5 demonstrates a second event. Not only did sin enter the world, but grace and justification entered the world. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 15, The free gift is not like the transgression, for if by the transgression of the one the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned, for on the one hand the judgment arose from one transgression resulting in condemnation, but on the other hand the free gift arose from many transgressions resulting in justification. One man came in and sinned and brought death into the world, One man came in and obeyed and brought life back into the world. This harkens back to Romans chapter 3, beginning at verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith. This was to demonstrate His righteousness, because in the forbearance of God He passed over the sins previously committed for the demonstration, I say, of His righteousness at the present time, so that He would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And then again in Romans chapter 5, beginning at verse 6, For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. It didn't end with Adam. When Adam sinned, God had a plan to send His Son. Death entered with sin through Adam. Life, grace, and justification entered through Christ. And how amazing that is. It's grace. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it. 
There's no amount of service we can offer to say that now God owes us. It's unmerited favor. We are given what we don't deserve. And we are not given what we do deserve. And it's justification. Justification is a legal term that was used to talk about a person being on trial who was declared innocent. And what's really amazing about our justification is we're not innocent. But through the blood of Jesus Christ, it can cleanse us of our unrighteousness and we will be declared innocent. Justified by Jesus. How powerful that is. What an amazing thing that is given to us by God. And so as Paul in this passage wants to talk about this reconciliation, he gives a series of comparisons and contrasts. Things that are similar and things that are different. For instance, if you look in Romans 5 and verse 19, for through one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. How is it similar? It's one man brought these things in. In fact, that was the comparison he was going to start with in verse 15. Excuse me, in verse 12, therefore just as through one man sin entered the world, and then he started talking about something else, explaining that he comes back to it. In verse 18 and 19, through one man sin entered the world, through one man life entered the world. There in verse 18, you back up a verse. So then as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness there resulted justification of life to all men. Sin and death entered the world through one action by one man. Life entered the world by one action of one man. There's also some contrasts in verse 15. But the free gift is not like the transgression, For if by the transgression of the one the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man Jesus Christ abound to the many. If the sin and the death that came through sin was powerful, he says much more was the grace of God powerful to wipe those sins away. It's different. It's distinct. Verse 16, The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned, For on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression, resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions, resulting in justification. That is, it only took Adam one sin to bring sin in the world. But what put Jesus on the cross? The sin of a multitude. Many transgressions. It was different. Verse 18 and verse 19, So then, as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness there resulted justification of life to all men. For as through the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one, the, of the, one, the many will be made righteous. This contrast, through one transgression there resulted condemnation. But through one act of righteousness there resulted justification of life. Through one's disobedience, the many were made sinners. But through one's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Through Adam's disobedience, many died because we follow in his footsteps. But through Christ's obedience, you see the contrast? There's one who disobeyed, there was one who obeyed. And through them, things happened. And then, of course, the greatest contrast is pointed out in verse 17. If by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Through Adam's one act, death reigned over many. Through Christ's one act, life 
reigns over many. Two greatest events. The only truly important events in all of history. Sin entered the world. And grace and justification entered the world. Of course, that leaves us with a question. And that question is, well, who gets the life? There's a little bit of confusion about that, especially because in one verse it says all died and all will be made alive. In one verse it says many died and many will be made alive. And then, of course, a thorough Bible student will go back to Matthew chapter 7 and verse 13 and 14, and they'll remember that, wait a minute, it's not many, but a few will be saved. And so we start getting confused. Well, which is it? Is it all? Is it many? Is it a few? Who gets this life? Well, while it's subtle, Romans chapter 5 also answers this question. We find out that the use of all, the use of many... Those are accommodative terms as he's making the comparison and the contrast. They're not terms that are given to specifically tell us exactly how many are going to be saved. But Romans chapter 5 and verse 17 says this, "...much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ." Those who receive the gift. There will be some who reject the gift. There will be some who receive the gift. Who's going to be saved? Not everybody who was just handpicked by God before time. Not everybody. In comparison, it's not even really going to be many or the majority. But all those who receive the gift will be saved. Romans chapter 5, verse 19. We need to remember that contrast that we read there just moments ago. Paul said, For as through one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one the many will be made righteous. But let's just take a look at this first half again here. We learned just a few minutes ago, how was it through the one man's disobedience were many made sinners? It wasn't just that Adam sinned and so then we were all made sinners. Adam sinned and brought sin into the world and death with it and we followed his footsteps. Isn't that what we learned in those verses? Verses 12 through 14, just a few moments ago? Many were made sinners because we followed His footsteps. And that's the same thing here. How will the many be made righteous? By following the footsteps of Christ. In the same way that we enter Adam and become sinners and and inherit death just like He did, by following His footsteps is the same way we enter Christ and inherit life through Him by following His footsteps. In fact, it's very amazing when we keep reading on and we don't stop at the chapter break and we move on into Romans chapter 6, when Paul talks about what it is that we've got to do in order to be saved, did you notice what he said? Verse 3 and 4, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into His death? Therefore, we've been buried with Him through baptism into death in order that we too might walk in newness of life. Do you see what he says? He says we've got to follow in the footsteps of Christ. Just as Jesus died, was buried, and resurrected, if we want life, that's exactly what we've got to do. We've got to die to sin. We've got to be buried with Christ and resurrected to walk in newness of life. Do you see the picture Paul is making here? It's not a picture of Calvinism. It's not a picture of God picked out some folks to be saved before time. It's not a picture of there's nothing absolutely that we can do in order to serve God. It's rather the exact opposite. It says, look... You entered Adam and you died because you sinned following his footsteps. If you want to get out of that and if you want to live, follow in the footsteps of Christ and you will have life. You'll receive that grace. You'll receive that justification. Follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Be buried with him. Die with him. 
to be resurrected, to walk in newness of life. And he goes on there in Romans chapter 6, verse 5, For if we have become united with Him in the likeness of His death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with Him, in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is the history of our world. God created an absolutely perfect world and He placed man in the garden and man sinned. And when sin came into the world, death followed it. But God had a plan. And He sent His Son, who came down as one man. And He lived... And he died and he was buried and he was resurrected. And through that obedience, life, grace, and justification came into the world. And if we want to be part of that, we've got to stop following in the footsteps of our father Adam and start following in the footsteps of our brother Jesus Christ. Where are you in this spectrum of world history? Because you see, this is not only the history of the world in a nutshell. This is the history of your life. You were brought into this world and you were in a relationship with God. And at some point you sinned and fell out of it and died. Jesus has come to give you life. Will you receive His grace by following in His footsteps? I hope today's lesson was beneficial to you. I hope it helped you serve God better and understand what God has done for you. What are the two greatest events in world history? Event number one, through Adam, sin and death entered the world. Event number two, through Jesus Christ, life and grace entered the world. We all entered Adam by following his footsteps, by sinning and becoming dead spiritually, just as Adam did. If we want the life that Jesus Christ offers, we've got to follow in his footsteps, dying to sin, being buried with Him, and raised to walk in newness of life, just as Paul pointed out in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and following. Perhaps somebody gave you this lesson. If so, I encourage you to visit our website at www.franklinchurchofchrist.com. We have numerous lessons there that you're free to download in audio and outline format, using them in whatever way you believe most glorifies God and helps His people draw closer to Him. If you have any questions about God, about sin, about what Jesus has done to help us overcome sin, please give us a call at 615-794-2359 or visit our website. Again, that's franklinchurchofchrist.com. May God richly bless you as you draw closer to Him. But more importantly, may you richly bless God.